Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. As I sat in my chair on Thursday morning to begin writing down the thoughts that the Lord had laid upon my heart, the Holy Spirit changed my direction. And so if you could take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is our chapter for this morning. It is rare that the 4th of July is celebrated on a Sunday. And to be honest with you, the Holy Spirit used the celebration of today to redirect my attention. As you all know, and perhaps you know, the 4th of July is the official day in which the United States of America celebrates its independence. It is the birthday of America, more or less. And so this morning, I explained to my son, and probably did not do it in an effective way, because my wife is far better at explaining things to the younger kids, the difference between North Carolina and the United States. Because he said, he woke up this morning and said, today is North Carolina's birthday. I said, no, it's not. It's actually the United States of America. And so trying to explain to a five-year-old what that means uh, was a fun challenge this morning. Several years ago, we had a gentleman that was attending our church who recently moved to, well, it had been a number of years now, had moved to the United States from the UK. He was born there, he grew up there, and he moved here when he was in his probably late, mid to late 30s. I asked him what he was doing for the 4th of July, just as I would with anybody else, and he quickly responded, I don't celebrate that day. Given his heritage and the reason for the 4th of July, I understood his dilemma. And so we praise God for our freedom. But now the celebration of the independence of our nation has become quite complicated. So as I sat in my chair on Thursday pondering how I could incorporate a prayer for our nation on this significant day of this nation's history, I wrestled with the complications that our nation now faces. My heart became extremely burdened. And so for that, it was burdened for probably reasons that you may not think that it would be burdened for. Growing up in church, uh, more conservative circles especially like I had, uh, you probably have heard messages about Americans and the American heritage. You probably have heard messages that were geared towards our American heritage. And the overall premise in some instances would be the persuasion of going back to the founding principles of our great nation. You probably have heard messages like that. And many of those principles are Bible-based. They are founded in Scripture. But in many instances, the patriotic message that was presented seemed to be or seemed to indicate a direct correlation between American heritage and Christianity. For example, I'm sure that many of you have sung the song in church, America the Beautiful. I did as well growing up. It's a wonderful song. But the danger of singing songs like this, and I'm not saying that this song is bad, The danger of singing songs like this in church and celebrating events such as Memorial Day and other American holidays in church is a confusion that takes place when we intermix American patriotism with theistic language and worship. For example, the original poem by Catherine Lee Bates writes, Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, and some of you are singing it in your head already, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain, America, America, God shed His grace on thee, and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Is it true that America has received God's great grace? Absolutely. 
Absolutely true. Is it true that America has been founded perhaps more on biblical principles than any other country? For sure. But the danger with intermixing theological language with American patriotism is a tendency to believe that the more American one is or the more patriotic one is is a direct indication of that person's level of Christianity. And if we're not careful, American pride can get in the way of our spiritual growth adding to confusion. For example, Dean and Sarah in his book, The Unsaved Christian, writes, When churches bring out all the stops in observance of the cultural high holy days, and for his example, that is Memorial Day, Independence Day, Veterans Day, and so on, it can perpetuate the notion that God and America are attached at the hip. Believe it or not, there are some right in our church that do not feel the same way about these holidays as those that are born in America. And I'm looking at Miss Grace in the back. Grace is an American citizen now. Praise the Lord for that. But you're not going to have the same emotions as what some of us would when it comes to this holiday. Now, I do want to clarify, and I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to be doing that a lot throughout this message here this morning because I want people to understand my heart. I understand that this is a sensitive subject. And I am not saying that we should not remember those that have died and given their lives for our freedom. I have family members that have fought for our freedom. We have people in this room that have fought for our freedom, or at least served in the military. And we praise God for their sacrifice. I am not saying that Christians should not be thankful for this great country. And I am not saying that we should continue, or should not continue to stand up for our freedoms. But I am saying that we have to be careful when it comes to marrying American patriotism with the gospel. We have to be careful in getting mad at people. Even our Christian brothers and sisters that don't share the same thoughts about America as we do, because some were not born in America. And when we begin to elevate American pride and patriotism over our responsibility as a Christian, what it does is it creates confusion and it places another obstacle in front of man's greatest need, and that is the gospel. While it is true that America was founded on Christian principles, we cannot assume that all the founding fathers were God-fearing men. This is an assumption that I oftentimes grew up in believing. For example, Thomas Jefferson was not a Christian. He was a deist. Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian. He was a deist. Some people even say that he may have been an atheist. John Adams was a Unitarian and so on. What does this show us? What God did is he used these men to establish the United States of America based upon Christian principles, but that, that, that does not mean that the United States of America, and you've heard this before, is a Christian nation. does not mean that. This also does not mean that the United States of America is God's second nation to the nation of Israel. Okay, You've heard that before too. And you've heard verses like, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, we just kind of alluded to that in the verse, be in reference to America, and in Scripture it's not. It's in reference to the people of Israel. And so to assume that God loves the United States more than He loves other people in other countries would be a wrong assumption. And so with that being said, we have to be so careful when it comes to our American patriotism in regards to our Christianity. You may ask yourself, well, how do I know? <laughs> how do I know, Pastor Brandon, if I'm dangerously intermixing my American patriotism with Christianity? Going back to the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Dean and Sarah in his book would give these thoughts to consider. He says, you might be a God and country Christian if 
don't please don't be mad. Um, if you believe your political party is the Christian party, you might be a God and country Christian if you would be more offended if a pastor endorsed a Democratic or Republican candidate, for that matter, on stage than if he taught a theologically problematic point. Yeah, it's hard. Your social media profile would make one think that God's chief concern is the flourishing of America. You believe certain cultural rights, sorry, Tim, but such as gun ownership, I'm just kidding. Uh, We've had this discussion before. You believe that certain cultural rights, such as gun ownership, are Christian rights. And you believe that taking back America is the mission of the church. You may be a God and country Christian if you hold to some of those. Going back to the statement I made earlier, I firmly believe that many American churches across the board have entered into the realm of this confusion when it comes to their American patriotism and their Christianity. And I know what I've said so far and what I'm about to say may not be popular among American churches. And I've wrestled probably more over this message than I've had in other previous ones because I, I really do want to communicate from my heart. And I don't want it to seem like I'm not a patriot because I love America. I'm wearing almost red, white, and blue this morning. Does it mean I love America? But I do. I love, I love our country. But I love God and His mission more. To make statements like America needs to go back to the principles of its founding fathers is not helpful, and it will not solve the people of America's greatest need. The ultimate issue with America's increased rejection of God does not have to do with political candidates voted into office or certain laws passed. The ultimate issue with the change of America has to do, what I believe, the Christians' misunderstanding of their ultimate purpose. And that is the foundation of my burden in this message this morning. My heart isn't burdened based upon the fact that we've strayed away in America in relation to our founding principles. My heart is burdened because many Christians have forgotten their role in America as Christians. The role that God has designed the Christian to fulfill, and in our case, our role to fulfill as American Christians. Now, I understand that this message this morning can be controversial because uh, there's two things that actually can be dividing on generations. For example, the older generation, they would struggle with this type of message in this sense. The older generation, to be honest with you, they have done probably more for our country than what the younger generation has. They have gone out and served in the military, and we have people in our church that are younger that are serving in the military, but they have fought for our freedom. And honestly, many of us in the younger generation, oftentimes we do take that for granted. But the younger generation has seen the flaws of our American country. But I, if, I can, if I can base it upon this, even though there may be tension when it comes to this subject between the older generation and the younger generation, they both have the same desire. And that is for America to be the absolute best nation that it can be. And so as Christians, it is our responsibility to actually spread the only thing that can change America for the good, and that is the gospel. So through our time together this morning, as we celebrate Independence Day, my prayer is that as Christians, we would be reminded of our God-given role as American citizens. Our number one role isn't to change the country based upon our political viewpoint, but to change the country based upon the transforming power of the gospel. So the title of the message this morning is The Christian's Role in America. In 1 Timothy, in the book of 1 Timothy, what Paul is doing is he's writing to his protege, Timothy. 
Timothy was going to be the one that would help oversee many of the ministries that the Apostle Paul planted. And uh, Timothy was going out and he was helping the Apostle Paul. But at this particular time, Timothy continued to minister to the church of Ephesus after the Apostle Paul left. The church of Ephesus being one of the churches that the Apostle Paul had a significant influence over. So what Paul does is he writes this letter as really this continuous training tool for Timothy as Timothy stepped into this position, this new position for him of the pastorate. And so he writes this letter to really explain how leaders and church members ought to do church according to how God designed for it to be. In essence, Paul explains to Timothy how a church should work according to the design of God. So as we approach chapter 2, what Paul does is he begins this uh, specific chapter with this command for prayer. In verses 1 through 6, Paul specifically focuses how a church should function when it comes to their prayer life. Now within these verses, what Paul does is he specifically touches on the Christian's attitude towards their government. Yay, we're going to talk about this. It is important to note that these people are not living in the wonderful nation of America. They wished that they lived in the wonderful nation of America. No, they were living underneath the rule of perhaps the worst, uh, cruelest, most blasphemous ruler of all time, and that was Nero. They were living underneath the rulership of Nero. Now, some people think we had certain American presidents that were bad. They were nothing compared to Nero. I can promise you that. They could not hold a candle to Nero. We've been very blessed in this nation. But what Paul does is he does not allow that to be an excuse for Christians in Ephesus, an excuse to respect those that are in authority, an excuse to pray for those that are in authority. What Paul does is he focuses on a greater need than social or political reform. In essence, Paul writes with this question in mind. How can we as Christians, in this case, in this particular chapter, Roman citizens, most effectively accomplish our ultimate goal, which is the building of God's kingdom? And so what we're going to do in this passage this morning is to, in order really to effectively answer this question, Paul does, uh, or he Paul, he Paul really gives us three reminders as Christians when it comes to the responsibility as both followers of God and citizens within our government. So the first thing we're going to look at here this morning is this. Prayer is our priority, not politics. Prayer is our priority, not politics. Unfortunately, today... Some Christians are too busy trying to prove their point in their politics in order to promote change. And I'm saying, I'm not saying there's not a time and place for that. There absolutely is. But they're too busy trying to do that, that they actually fail to resort to God for prayer in order to bring about that change. Our persistence in our politics will never bring about lasting change. That only comes through the gospel. One of our founding fathers and our First president, George Washington, whom I believe was a genuine follower of Christ, understood the importance and the power of prayer over politics. Within the Washington Prayer Journal, there's this recorded prayer of George Washington as he begs for guidance from God. This is what he has to say. Increase my faith in the sweet promises of the gospel. Give me repentance from dead works, pardon my wanderings, and direct my thoughts unto thyself, the God of my salvation. Teach me to live in thy fear, labor in thy service, and ever to run in the ways of thy commandments. Make me always watchful over my heart, that neither the terrors of conscience, the loathing of my holy duties, the love of sin, nor an unwillingness to part this life may cast me into a spiritual slumber, but daily frame me more and more, 
and to the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that living in thy fear and dying in thy favor, I may in thy appointed time attain the resurrection of the just unto eternal life. Bless my family, friends, and kindred, and praise God for that prayer. Nowhere in that prayer did George Washington say, God, help me lower tax. Well, in that case, it wasn't lower taxes. Help me to uh, guide this brand new country. He didn't pray any of that. He said, help me conform me into the image of your son. Because he knew that that was the only way the true change was going to happen. Paul says in verse 1, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. Paul uses that term to exhort to really express this strong encouragement to the church to get back to praying. Now, it was evident in the church of Ephesus at this particular time that they had become preoccupied with everything else that their prayer life severely was hindered. Part of the decrease in their prayer, what we refer to as an evangelistic type prayer, was the result of false teachers prevalent in Ephesus. Within this particular context, the false teachers taught that salvation was only for Jews and the Gentiles that converted over to Judaism. We call them proselytes, Gentile proselytes. When the church bought into this lie, their prayer life was severely limited. Paul, using this word exhort, he was calling attention to their severely unhealthy prayer life. And then he goes on and he uses several words. He says, uh, really, to make prayers and supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men. Each of these words or phrases means something just a tad bit different. The word supplication here is derived from the Greek word, which is the original language in the New Testament, that means to be without. This type of prayer happens when there is a specific need. So within this context, Paul is highlighting the fact that the Christians should pray for the tremendous needs of the lost. It is much better and much more important than politics and reform. It is their need for the gospel. Paul commands for them to pray for their salvation. In addition to intercession, he uses the word supplication. Or uh, he, uh, uh, in addition to supplication, I'm sorry, he used the word intercession. The root meaning of that word means to really draw near so as to speak intimately. Usually when we hear this word in Scripture, we hear it in reference to Jesus interceding on behalf of the believers to the Father. See, what this word really means is to actually make a request for someone that doesn't know how to make that request. In other words, Jesus speaks on our behalf. The Holy Spirit speaks in our behalf when we don't know what to say to the Father. When in reference to the unbelievers here, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, the unbelievers don't know what they truly need. They don't know that they truly need the power of the gospel. And so believers, you must intercede on their behalf because they don't know what to pray for. That's what interceding means here. What does this require then? It requires an unbiased love for all people. For all people. No matter their race, no matter their political views, you intercede on their behalf. You may ask yourself, well, how does this apply to me 
and my role as American citizen. If we're not careful, again, as I said earlier, we can elevate our American patriotism above our responsibility of Christians. And this happens when we intermix our responsibilities as Christians with our pride as American citizens. And I'm going to show you probably one of the most controversial things that have happened in our news here recently. But you didn't come to church for me to speak good about you. We're going to come to church to learn about God's Word. So can I show this next picture here? Many of you have seen this picture. How many of you understand or know or familiar with this picture here? Okay. The one that is standing there looking in the direction of opposite of the other two there, her name is Gwen Berry. Those that have not heard the name Gwen Berry probably heard it in relation to the disrespecting of the American flag, at least what we perceive that to be, and it seems evident there. Gwen Berry won third place in the U.S. Olympic trials for hammer throwing. As the three participants stood on the platform in their respective places, Gwen Berry shrugged to the side and placed her hand on her hip. Now, to many Americans, this was a great sign of disrespect, and rightfully so, and a hatred towards our country that so many have fought so hard and died for. But for Gwen Berry, the national anthem comes with a different set of emotions. Now, what I'm about to say could be perceived as insensitive or unpatriotic, so before I proceed, again, I beg for your patience. As Americans across the country sought to digest this act, there were a whole string of emotions. Some responded in hate, some responded in anger, others responded in joy and triumph. Now, for those that are unbelievers, I don't expect for them to respond in a Christ-like manner. But what I saw on Facebook and social media posts were professing Christians that were uh, really spewing out a plethora of hate directed towards this particular individual. Now what I'm going to ask you to do is set aside all emotions for just a moment and picture what Paul tells us here in this particular passage. As a red-blooded American that did not personally experience the hardship of some other Americans, in this case Gwen Berry, who she identifies with, we feel angry. For other Americans that experience injustice in America, they feel a different set of emotions. To respond get over it, you live in America, so just deal with it, will not address man's ultimate problem. Why? Because the only solution to all people's problems is the gospel. Now let me go ahead and just use this as another visual illustration here. I want you to look at that picture for a moment, and maybe you wouldn't think this, but if somebody was watching it, and I was to say, which one of those people up there are followers of Christ? I guarantee you, mo- I shouldn't say guarantee, most people would probably say the two that are facing the flag. They're followers of Christ. And if that is your quick response, I want to urge you that perhaps we are intermixing our role as a Christian with our American patriotism. Do I, am I advocating that what she's doing is the right thing? No. Do I think that we should disrespect the America and the flag and a nation as American citizens that we live in? Absolutely not. Even if we don't agree with the politics as Christians and American citizens, we have the role and the right to stand up for our nation. But what I want to urge us to do is that when we see things like this that create all these emotions because our grandfather and perhaps our brother and our sister died fighting for our freedom, take a step back. Because if we were to respond in a hateful tone based upon the emotions, then we may miss an opportunity to actually share the one thing that will help that person in their protest. The Apostle Paul doesn't say here at any point 
disrespect your nation, he says, pray. Pray for all men. As we continue on here, during the early years of the church plant, actually look at verse 2. He says, not only should we pray be made for all men, he says in verse 2, for kings and queens, all who are in authority. During the early years of the church plant, I had a person that was attending for several weeks, and they heard me pray for the president, as I did this morning, the president. Um, but at that time, it was President Trump. He heard me pray for President Trump, and he did not have the same political views and the thoughts of, of the President Trump, and, and, and that's okay. And I wasn't up there saying that he's the greatest person in the world. I was just simply praying for him. He approached me, and he said that he did not appreciate that I was praying for the president because he looked at that as me being endorsement from the pulpit for the president. And so I humbly responded back to him. I said, we are commanded in Scripture to pray for those that are in authority. And it says it right here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. God gives that command. Now I wonder how effective change in America would be <laughs> that instead of Christians getting online on social media and blasting and making fun of whatever, the political gaffes of our current president and the political gaffes of the other president, I wonder that instead of doing that, if we actually prayed for our leaders, how different America would be. Paul not only highlights our need to pray for all men, he also specifically highlights our need to pray for our leaders and those that are in authority. Now, as I mentioned earlier, within this particular context, the leaders of those in the Ephesus church fell underneath the cruel reign of Nero. This church suffered much persecution as a result of the leader, but Paul commanding the people to pray for their leader, even through their leader, uh, even though their leader persecuted them, parallels Jesus' command in Matthew 5:44, another verse we don't like to hear. But I say unto you, love your enemies. No, don't want to do that. <laughs> Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Again, don't want to do that. Jesus doesn't give us an option. Nobody ever said the Christian life was easy. That's why when Jesus Christ was approached by the, the disciples and all these people wanted to follow him, do you see towards the end of his life how many disciples were actually still with him? Very few. Because it takes a complete surrender of our life and our rights to follow Jesus Christ. We pray for those that persecute us, persecute us, not only as Americans, but more importantly as Christians. Prayer must be our priority, not politics. But if you were to read these verses together, there's a specific reason that Paul says that we ought to pray for our leaders. Look at the wording of what he uses to transition from the first part of verse 2 into the second part. Paul says in verse 2, pray for kings and all who are in authority. Then he says that that you may, we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. What Paul does is he commands us to pray for our leaders so that Christians can live peaceful and godly lives, which brings us to our second point here this morning. Peace is our process, not protest. Peace is our process, not protest. To fully understand what Paul is saying, we have to put all these verses together, and you can highlight these words. And I'll tell you the words. If you like, you can highlight them. It helps us to kind of picture what he's saying here. Paul says that we must pray for kings and all who are in authority, underline that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life and all godliness and reverence, underline for this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, our Savior, underline who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
When we put these verses together, what we see is that a peaceful and godly life are the ingredients of a God-pleasing life. God uses those ingredients to enhance, get this, to enhance the aroma of the gospel to the lost and dying world. The one of the, I think it should be illegal, to be honest with you, speaking of policy, protest, I want to protest against this. It should be illegal to, to blow the um, food the, the steam of the food in the hallways of the mall when you walk through the mall. Hey, that's, that's not fair to us and the ones that have little kids. If you were to go over to the Cotton, I think it's, was it the Cotton Mill Mall or the one in Carborough over here? They have this pizza place there. And so walking down the hall, is it the Cotton Mill Mall? Car mill, cotton mill. I think it used to be a cotton mill. Anyway, uh, you know what I'm talking about, those of you living here. You walk down the hallway, and there's this pizza place on the end. And I remember one time I was in there with my wife, and she was looking at different things and shopping, and I was already hungry. And I walked underneath, and I could literally feel the air, just pizza, just cooking out. Well, that aroma, that could you imagine? I don't mean to be crass here, but could you imagine if you took pig manure and you were taking that smell of that I'm not ever going to that pizza place if that's the aroma that they're pumping out of there, right? Uh, something from the bathroom or something like that. They're taking the aroma of something that smells good in order to draw you in. What Jesus says here, what the Apostle Paul says here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that peace and godliness are the aroma of the gospel. That is how people are going to be like, oh, you know what? I want what you have. Not going on the street corner and yelling and holding up a sign. Sinners are going to hell. That's true, but we got we got to do it in a different way than that. That's not living a peaceful and a godly life. Here in the United States, we have this wonderful freedom to protest against policies and procedures that we do not agree with. That's one of the staple trademarks, if you will, as American citizens. And as Christians who happen to be American citizens, I do believe that we have the responsibility to speak up against policies that do not match our Constitution, but that certainly do not match biblical views. But we have to be very careful when it comes to our protest because our number one responsibility as Christians is to expand the kingdom of God, not the United States government. John MacArthur explains it this way. While it remains uncompromising in its commitment to the truth, the church is not to agitate or disrupt the national life. When it manifests love and goodness to all and prays passionately for the last, including the rulers, the church may experience a certain amount of religious freedom. Bottom line, what Paul is saying here within these verses is that it is more effective and beneficial as Christians and an American citizen to pray for our leaders and to live in peace than to become enraged with our leaders and live in protest. What makes this so hard? Because as Americans, American pride has been ingrained in our minds at a very early age. I'm always interested to hear from people like Grace and hear from Chidi and Chiname who moved over here from Nigeria and talked to this other gentleman whom I offended when I asked who was celebrating the 4th of July. <laughs> it's like, thank you for letting us celebrate your country. Uh, anyway, um, I was always interested to hear from them about their views of America. And I've never met a country, and I'm sure they're out there, but I've never met someone from a country that says that they have as much pride in their country as what Americans do. I think it's awesome that we have that much pride in our country because of the freedom, and God has blessed us so greatly. But we do have to be careful. Because we are extremely grateful for those who fought for us. We are taught, and I believe this myself, that we are the greatest country that exists. But for those different aspects, they create a feeling and a sense of pride. And when our nation is attacked, we hurt. I hurt. 
when our nation is attacked. We don't want to see this great nation fall, but we must remember that as Christians, our citizenship is not here. It is ultimately in heaven. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we remind ourselves that as Christians, our ultimate home is not here, but with the presence of our Savior, then we will be more interested in following the commands of God than our own rights and our own protest. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is our ultimate king's desire for the people, that all would be saved, all would come to the knowledge of him, and this should be our number one motivation as Christians that happen to be American citizens. Not gun control, not lower taxes, not, uh, but the spread of the gospel. I'm not saying we don't fight for those things, that we believe in, we do. But we need to be more concerned with the spread of the gospel. Now, going back to the point that I made earlier, one of the dangers that we face in America, is again, is this marriage between American citizenship and Christianity. We literally have a song that says, God bless the USA, in which the chorus rings out, I'm proud to be an American. That same author, whom you know, Lee Greenwood, this is no joke, it was forwarded on to me by Garrett, but it isn't a joke, even though it came from Garrett. Usually he's messing around. I looked it up myself. Lee Greenwood inspired the God Bless the USA Bible. It is a Bible that has a tagline, the ultimate American Bible. First off, what is that? Last time I checked, there's nothing American about this. But anyway, in that Bible, it contains the God Bless USA Chorus, the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Pledge of Allegiance, all great things. But do you see the problem here? Americans have been ingrained to think that the more American you are, the more Christian you are. And there's nothing wrong with patriotism. I love our country. But Jesus doesn't command patriotism as the solution to win souls. Which brings us to our final point here this morning. Number three, Jesus is our answer, not policy. Paul says in Verses 5 through 6. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What is Paul saying here? It is only Jesus that gave himself a ransom for all. It wasn't the United States government. It wasn't our founding fathers. It wasn't the United States Constitution. It wasn't Jesus. Now, according to Scripture, the role of the government as God intended is not to sanctify people. <laughs> it's not, that's why additional policies aren't going to sanctify a person. But we need them. We need laws. The role of the government is to protect its people, to administer the law. That's, that's ordained by God. But the government is an institution set up by God in order to keep the people safe and maintain order. Therefore, new policies and laws are sometimes necessary. Like perhaps a new policy about owning a venomous snake. Like this past week in Raleigh with the cobra. But new policies, again, will not address man's ultimate need for a savior. So in conclusion this morning, if you were to take these entire verses and come up with this one point, here's the point that Paul is making. The world needs the gospel. Pray for the salvation of all people and pray that your government leaders will set up laws and policies that allow Christians to live and continue in their purpose, and that is to spread the gospel. On this Independence Day, I praise the Lord for the United States of America. I praise the Lord on the fact that it was founded on a nation that allowed Christians and all others for that matter, to live in peace to fulfill their purpose from God.
The preamble of our Constitution states, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That preamble is literally an answer to Paul's prayer in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We have the freedom to express the gospel. So what do we do from this point forward? We have to make prayer and the spreading of gospel our number one priority. We praise God that we live in a country in which men and women have fought for our freedom. But don't waste that freedom. Don't waste that freedom that we have to go share the gospel and worship the Lord together. Don't waste what they fought for us for. We pray for our nation, but we don't intermix our American patriotism with Christianity. We don't place our role and rights as American over our command and responsibility as Christians. What God has done is he allowed us to live in what I believe one of the greatest countries in the world, but we have a responsibility to build the kingdom of God. A theologian once stated, and I'll be done, it may be that America is not post-Christian at all. It may be that America is instead pre-Christian. A land that often Christ haunted, but has never known the power of the gospel yet. And as Christians, it is up to us, through the sovereign working and the power of Jesus Christ, to change the American people through the power of the gospel, because it's in that mission that God can truly bless the USA.